This is a, a well-known story for many, and, and uh, as we go through this, it should go pretty smoothly for the next two hours, but just hang in there because I know you want to go three, but I can only have a voice, I think, for two. So, so. now when we looked last time in chapter two, we saw the faith of an individual by the name of Rahab. Now the focus on the book of Joshua moves to the faith of an entire nation. Keep in mind this book is more than an ancient history in what God did centuries ago for the Jews. It's about your life, my life. It's about the life of the church today. What God wants to do here and now for those who trust him. The book of Joshua is all about the victory of faith. And the glory that comes to God when his people trust and obey him. When we trust and obey God, we have victory over the giants of our lives. Over the giants that will come and try to slay us in our daily walk. But in the Christian life, you are either a victor or a victim. God did not save us to make statues out of us. He didn't make us to some be some exhibit for him. He saved us to make us soldiers and ambassadors out of us to lead us forward by faith in battle and representation to the claim of our rich inheritance and rich inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. That we are a child of God and we have great inheritance. We have eternity. And we are ambassadors of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us to give us that inheritance and how it glorifies our Father. Moses said it well in Deuteronomy 6.23. He he brought us out from here that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. Too many of God's people have the mistaken idea that, that salvation that being delivered from bondage of Egypt, that's all there is to a Christian life. I'm free from sin. No longer going to be held responsible and a penalty for our sinful life. I have been set free. And that's all people think that's all the Christian life is. I'm saved. That's all that matters. No, it does not. That's all that matters. But salvation is only the beginning of a Christian life. Both in our personal spiritual growth and in our service to the Lord, these as much land we are to possess as we see in Joshua 13.1. We must go and do what God's called us to do, to possess the land or possess the things that he's asked us to do. Unbelief will stop you. Unbelief in you will stop you and I from taking that step of faith and trusting in God and what he wants to do in and through your life. Yes, after salvation. Let's go back, many will say, of unbelief. Let's go back into where it's safe. Let me go back to what's familiar. Let me go back home to, with the this and the that. And, and I, somehow that's going to bring me safety and stability in my life. But faith says, let's go forward to where God is working and where he is moving in my life. That is where we are to go. Not back to the old life. 
Not to find some, I'm, I was comfortable when I first got saved. Now it's getting really difficult because it's change taking place. And this requires faith. And I don't see how it's going to play out. And it's hard to live a life of faith and blah, 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 blah. It's because of unbelief and how we are need to pray and ask God for more faith and belief in him. And it's because of that unbelief is because you're not in the word of God and you do not believe what the word of God says. And it means it means he's speaking to you directly about it when you read. You think it's for everybody else. It's not for you. But that's not true. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith has overcome this wicked world, my brothers and sisters. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That is not some light subject. Who do you think Jesus is? Oh, he's the Son of God. Like you really believe it? No, you don't believe it. You just if you, Anyone can parrot that. But do you believe it? And do you live for him? That's a whole other subject there. But now as a nation waiting to cross the Jordan River, we see the nation of Israel has to take a step of faith. The people must have been wondering what Joshua, the new leader, is planning to do. Moses is gone. Joshua is now the leadership. He's in command. He's the commander. He's listening to God. And how, is he is really God with him? And we're sitting here at this river, and we're not going to be able to cross this river because there's no possible way. And they're obsessing what is happening because they're certainly not going to swim across the Jordan River. They don't have boats. There's no logical way. They're standing there on the east side of the Jordan looking to see how they're going to get on the other side. Because God said he has to go into the promised land, and that's what they promised, and that's what Moses communicated. That is what Joshua communicated. And like Moses before Joshua received his orders from God directly, from the Lord, and he obeyed them by faith. It reminds us of how important it is for us as well in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you increase your faith? By hearing the word of God. And applying it, knowing it, it applies to your life. And your faith will be built up and be strong. So here in Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 we see they're camping by the Jordan. Israel faces their own helplessness here to accomplish what they're supposed to be doing. And it says, then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from the Acacia Grove. The Shittim is the name of the town. And he came to the Jordan and he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before them crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers were through the camp. As we studied in chapter 2, the spies went out. They came back. It looks like they must have been searching out during these three days. I believe they were 10 miles away in Cassia Grove. They moved 10 miles to the edge of the Jordan. That took them a good day. That's about 3 million people moving in a day over. Another day to get established. And now it's the third day. The spies are back. They're ready to go. And here they find themselves here at the edge of the Jordan River, the shore. 
And God told the people of Israel to wait there three days at the shore of the Jordan River. And they moved about that time to get in place. Now keep in mind that the Jordan River and the normal time frame of, of the, during that time frame, the normal size would have been about 100 feet wide is the width of the Jordan River. Except for flood season at fall time, which is what this was or is. And this would have been about a mile worth of width of the Jordan River. So three million people don't just go pat, doggy paddling across a mile length a width of a, of a rushing river uh, of the Jordan River. It's, you're not, that's not going to happen. So you're standing there looking going, okay, Joshua, you're the leader. What are we going to be doing here? And it was one thing for a few spies to make it across. The, but now to see the entire nation of Israel of about three million people cross over is a whole other subject matter. But at the moment like this, all the wonderful talk about living in the promised land could sound pretty doubtful for many people at this point in time if you do not have faith in God. There is a seemingly impossible obstacle blocking their way. How will God do this? And many times people have heard the stories of the Red Sea. That God brought them out of Egypt of bondage. Came to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army coming, barreling them down, going to wipe them all out. And God literally parted the Red Sea for them to pass through. You know the story. They knew the story. This is a generation that wasn't even alive at the time, but they grew up understanding what God miraculously did for the, their parents and grandparents into the, in the desert. And now they find themselves here, and so what happens? And they commanded, verse 3, the people saying, the officers did, if in verse 2, they t commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Remember, we studied this in Exodus and Numbers about they had order. Anytime the Ark of the Covenant was being carried by the, the priests and the Levites to be carried and start moving, they knew they were to pack up their tents and to follow God. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. And when God moves, you move. When God stops, you stop. When God says we're going left, you go left. When you go right, you're, we're going right. You don't have a choice. They are to be in God's presence at all times, not in your own will, but God's will. And so they understood they were to pack up, and the officers here who oversaw each of these tribes reminded them of their responsibility. And in verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it. So you're going to keep a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant. About 2,000 cubits of by measure, that's about a 1,000 a, a feet yards away from it at all times. Don't touch it. Don't get near it. Because why? We see right here. He says, as you look at this, do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Don't get ahead of God. You've never been down this path before. You just linger back no closer than a thousand feet because everyone from three million people are looking at the Ark of the Covenant and where that presence is in the front of everybody and they're following it so they're not deviating, going left or to right. They're going following God directly down the path. But don't get too close. 
Verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify means to set apart. You better go, many people, and as we know, we studied in the previous books, what sanctify means, they didn't bathe on a regular basis over there. They didn't have the luxury of, of showering every day or two times a day. No, they would not shower unless it was very, very, very important. And this was very important. More than likely, as I see sanctify, just like we see in the previous books, they would have washed their clothes, washed themselves. They would have been uh, abstained from any sex with their wives. They would, have, uh, they would have stayed pure and focused on God and not allow the flesh in any form or fashion sanctify, get anything that is not of God in their life. Get it right because you better sanctify yourselves because for tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonderful things among you. You better be prepared. You better be focused. Don't be distracted of what God's about to do. So what happened next? Verse 6, Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. See, in this, just chapters 3 and 4, we're going to see that the Ark is mentioned 16 times. Just in chapters 3 and 4. Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 10 times. The Ark of the Lord is 3 times. And just the Ark is mentioned 3 times. You can see that the presence of God is very important in these two chapters. And why? Because God is leading his people to accomplish what God said he was going to accomplish since Abraham. And God's going to do the work. They're not getting ahead of him. They're getting behind him. You're not driving God to do what he's going to do. You keep your distance and you watch and honor God and just watch and see what he's going to do. But we should assume that God told Joshua to do this and that he was working based on the, upon the foolish presumption. He wasn't working on some, some foolish presumption. We can only assume that God spoke to Joshua about this as Joshua was in God's word reading and remembering the crossing of the Red Sea. Why? Because in Joshua 1.8, if you remember, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So Joshua is sitting there meditating on the Word of God. He's listening to the Word of God. He's waiting for the Word of God to speak to him, to show him what to do next. So Joshua obviously had the Word of God on his lips, on his mind, in his actions. That is what we're supposed to do as well as a child of God. To constantly have the Word of God right there at the tip of our mouth, our lips. And our minds consuming our minds. And our actions. Depending on, growing out of the promises that God shows us in his word. But even with God's specific guidance, with specific guidance from his word, this still is an impressive step of faith for Joshua. Living and walking in the promised land comes from this kind of faith. Not a religious reliance on the law relationship with God, but a personal relationship hearing from the word of God to him. Faith leads us into greater victories than the law will ever do. We can take steps of faith and we will see the blessings and victories in our life if we will just willingly trust him and follow him by faith. 
Not by the law, not by sight. That will not bring victory in your life. And then we see in verse 7 and 8, God's encouragement to Joshua because God always encourages those who are taking steps of faith. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Oh, what a promise that is to hear those words from God to Joshua. Joshua, don't forget, you saw me work in Moses' life. I'm going to do it just like that in your life as well. So don't, don't think I'm leaving you hanging here, man, as, as being a brand new commander and, 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 and trying to bring these people in the promised land. I'm not just leaving you here. I'm, I got you. Verse, verse 8, And you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Take note. At the Red Sea of parting, they did not put their feet in the water. God separated the water. Before they touched the water, they walked on dry land. This time, it took even more faith because now God says you're stepping into the water as the, with the Ark of the Covenant as this thing is flowing and rushing. You're going to step into the water. Then God is going to stop the water 19 miles up the river where they can't even see it. Think about that. As Joshua takes a step of faith, God encourages him all the way. God always wants to encourage and help along our faith if you would just trust him and listen. But we may have our ears closed to his encouragement because we're so stuck on what we're seeing and the fears and the unknowns and the, and the, the naysayers and all these other people who can talk into your, your ears about your life that is not true as a child of God anymore. But you won't hear the encouragement of God to encourage you to keep walking with him. To keep doing what he's called you to do. I know you don't understand this. I know you don't see how this is going to happen. I know you don't think your life is going to change. But you need to listen to the encouragement of God. And how do you get that encouragement? By reading the word of God so he can speak to you. Being around godly people so God can use those people to speak into your life encouragement of the word of God. So what do you think the enemy wants you to do? Stay away from God's people. Stay away from the word of God. Stay away from anything of godliness. So that he will become so weak in your faith of unbelief, he'll take you down spiraling to the, to the depths of darkness. That's how it works. But here God was coming in. It could have been a very heavy, heavy moment for Joshua. And God swoops right in there and says, Joshua, ah, I got you, man. I got you. I'm going to use you like I use Moses because he is faithful. God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, God is still faithful. And God will make Joshua a leader like Moses in the eyes of the people. He needs to raise him up. Joshua didn't raise himself up. He didn't sit there, hey, I'm the leader now. Listen to me and follow me. That's not a real leader. 
God raises them up. And people see it naturally that this is the person that God is working in and through that person's life. That is the leader that we're going to follow. And that's exactly what God did for Joshua. He will do it by using Joshua to miraculously lead the people across this impassable body of water. And they'll see the faith. And after Joshua had obeyed the previous guidance based on faith, guess what? His understanding of God's word brought him to a point of being able to take that step. Then when you see that happens, when God gave him more specific instructions, and that is true in our lives today, God will never give us the full picture of what he wants us to do. He only says, take the first step. What about this? No, no. Take a step of faith. But no, just take a step of faith. And once you take that step of faith, guess what happens? Then God reveals to you the next step. And once you take that step of faith, then He reveals the next step. Then the next step. And then the next step. Because He's leading us by faith, not by sight. How many times would you have never done certain things if you knew the full picture from the very beginning of what you have to go through? Thank God for his mercy and grace for not showing us everything. Only enough to keep us to take steps of faith. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. You, you mean he didn't stand up there? Come over here and listen to me. I got words of wisdom to tell you here. No, he didn't say that. He says, it's not about me. I am going to bring you to me because I'm just going to be the voice of what God's telling me to tell you. I am going to, I want you to hear the words of the Lord your God. Not Joshua's words, but the Lord's word. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Parasites, the Gigas, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. Yes, it will stand as a heap, but they're not going to see the heap. Those were just God's words telling them what was happening. By his grace and his mercy, he gave them an insight of what was going to take place just to encourage them to keep moving forward, to trust God in what he is about to do. Joshua understands the way God connects events in his, our lives. He understands this connection, that part of the life in my life, and this connects to this and this. And it has a sequence of events that takes place. The fact that he will move on behalf of Israel here is taken as a promise of his future blessing and movement for them. He understood the bigger picture. Joshua did not magnify himself. He magnified the Lord and his gracious blessing to the nation if they would take the step of faith. True spiritual leadership focuses the eyes of God's people on the Lord and his greatness never on him. 
And here we are. Behold the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Joshua knows that the Ark will lead the way because it's God's leading the way. And again, this is a spiritual battle. It must be won. He understands this is a spiritual battle. He understands that the enemy is after them. He understands that this is all about prayer and trusting in God in their lives, even with the impossible passing of over the Jordan River. But Joshua's general outlook in, in, as communicated to God's people is refreshing. The impossible problems in their way are not seen as some oppressive trial. Always us. We're always suppressed, always being picked on, always... The no, no, there was no oppression, uh, oppressive trial here, but as a gracious opportunity to see God work in their lives. That's what he was portraying. It's not to look at it as a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is what God's going to show up and reveal himself in our lives because by faith we're going to see him move. But those who think they're just oppressive and they're, not, they're just going to sit and do nothing, you're not going to see God move. You're not going to see Him move. Because you're not trusting and, and, and watching and, and with anticipation of what God's going to do in changing your life and changing the situation at hand. So what happens in verse 14, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to, to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped, dipped their little toe in? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Dipped in the edge of the water. Why? For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So here's the priest begin the procession with the Ark of the Covenant, some a thousand yards in front of the people. There they were first. They're watching them. They're seeing, "Woo, what's going to happen? Are they going to they're going to be swept away with the water flow and the Ark? Oh, what's going to happen here?" Um, and so what happens? They stepped into it. They stepped into by faith. They didn't say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." Didn't you tell us that God's part of the Red Sea? No one had to get their dip their toe into nothing. They didn't question God's word. Just because God works in one way in this situation doesn't mean he's going to work exactly the same way in the next time you have to cross a river. God has his own way. He's unpredictable. His character never changes. But his ways, he can change things. In this case, one required them not to have to put their foot in. This one they had to put their feet in which is even deeper faith, is it not? So what happened next? So how long did the priests stood there in the river for three million people to cross over? Don't know. Might have been a moment, but it may have been a very long time. I lean to the fact that these Levites were carrying the, the ark and holding it there and just staying steady as people thousand feet away, yards away, just kind of him and getting on the other side as somehow God has stopped the water in a heap again as we see where the logic of where it was located about 19 miles upstream so they're not seeing where the water is all they know is the water stopped could it be coming now are we hurrying how long do we have to get across I mean either way they had to trust by faith that they're not going to get washed away they're going to get onto the other side and even the fact that they said 
the Ark of the Covenant itself, they're, they're standing in the middle of this thing. So if the water comes down, this is God's doing. But Joshua reminds us that this was not a time when the Jordan was reduced to a trickle. It was an absolute harvest time. Banks were overflowing. So imagine what it took faith to do this. Verse 16. Then the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. That's why I know now about 19 miles north. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the, the Salt Sea, we refer to as the Dead Sea, uh, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on the gr- dry ground. Notice that they had dry ground. It, was a, it wasn't a muddy mess. Uh, in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So in some miraculous manner, God stopped the water, heaped it up. Literally, it didn't talk about the wind like last time where the wind blew and separated. God could have used the wind. However, he miraculously heaped up and stopped that water. He created his own little dam. I can see him just putting his hand right there going, okay, la, 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 let's get across the water here, and I'll hold the water back for you. He could have used all kinds of methods. But all we know is what the word tells us. That it stopped, it stood still, and rose in a heap. Miraculous. And they crossed on dry land. To show God's faithfulness. It's a miracle, obviously, that connects to the miracle 40 years earlier at the Red Sea. And what must have been going through their mind. They didn't have the Army Corps of Engineers to figure this out. How do we divert the water for this period of time so that we can get it across the water and and try to figure out human ways of doing these things? Which many people rely upon. Versus trusting God to actually open a way where there's no way. To face what's this impossible challenges in our lives, we must look to Jesus. Our Joshua, he always leads us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the ark. He's the Emmanuel. He was trailing. God is with us, Matthew 1.23. Jesus has cleared the way to victory over all the things, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them in at the cross. Colossians 2.15 No power, no dark, no demonic force or anything can have a power over a child of God. He has given us victory. He's given us power. And as we keep our eyes on and follow behind our victorious Jesus, the river of impossibility will dry up and make a way for you. If you will trust him. If you really will follow him. Too many times there's a cynic always out there who wonders if they haven't tried that and been disappointed. And we must ask all the time, oh, I've tried Jesus. I've tried reading the Bible. I've tried church. I've tried this and nothing helped. I'm still a drunkard. I'm still a drugger. I'm still a pornographer. I'm still this. I'm still that. I can't control anything. I'm out of control. And I've tried all that. Well, you didn't do it. Don't be fooled. 
Have you truly walked according to God's word? Really? Have you really trusted in Jesus and been disappointed? I think not. You may be completely disappointed because you actually are disappointed in your own flesh. But if you follow Jesus and trust him and trust and obey, it's life-changing. And everyone who has can tell you their testimony. Now here in chapter 4, we see the memorial stones that are going to be planted for the people to remember this day and this moment. We see that in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, it says, It came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from, each, from every tribe. And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Because they're going to become a memorial on the west side of the Jordan here. Where they're going to be planting their headquarters right there as they go out to conquer the promised land this is going to be their main place set up when they first cross over verse 7 then you shall answer them that the waters of the jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the lord when it crossed over the jordan the waters of the jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of israel forever and the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Verse 9, Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests were bore, the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So two sets of piles of 12 rocks are created for a memorial. One is that each of representative of the tribe, of each of tribe, took some big dude, pick up a big rock and carried it across and carried it up and put it on the hard, the hard land. So there's 12 rocks, and we're going to see Joshua's going to orchestrate those to create a memorial. But also Joshua, before going over onto the west side, he took 12 stones there and created another memorial right where the, the priests were and Levites holding on to the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and created one in the water itself. Which will be interesting because it's still there today because the Bible tells me so. So when the water comes flowing back over, guess what? They will not be seen, but they will be there anytime the water goes down. There'll be the rock standing right there where that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's interesting. But remember, the Lord was in control of all the activities of the Jordan River that day. Every single moment. 
Israel was now on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land. But what is life in the promised land like? Is it at all, all beautiful, rosy, and perfect, and everything's great once you come into the promised land? No. They're going to do a lot of fighting and a lot of wars going on. Just like when you get saved, if everything gets perfect, everything's fine, everything's... No, you're going to war through a lot of enemies coming against you to get the giants out of your life. So it's all one, not one glorious vacation time for, uh, for another. This is not what it's all about. Let's get on the promise line because it's vacation finally. No, it, for Israel it was a place of battle. But most of all, it was a place of trust. God was building their trust up in him. They knew they had to trust God with everything they had because the challenges only got bigger in the promised land, but the blessings got even bigger. Most of us would have wanted to rush as soon as we got over. You may, people are so eager, let's go to Jericho, let's take over the city, let's go. But that's not what God asked them to do. Oh, come on, let's take advantage. They're all fearful of us. We're just hyped up, man. They just, they just witness us coming across dry land of the river. They're so fearful. They're, they're, really gonna, they're going to just drop. And God says, no, we're going to wait. Why? Because he was building their trust up. Each tribe was to set a representative to, uh, to stone. They did it. Joshua made sure the stones of memorial stones were there, right there where the, the Ark of the Covenant was, and it was done. And the purpose of these memorials was, was so that the people of Israel could teach their children about the great things God has done in their life. So that the work of God would not be forgotten among the next generation. We often fail in our trust in God because we forget the great things He has done in and through our lives. And often the faith of our children are weak because we have never been told and of how great God is in your life and what He's done in your life and your children don't even know it. And how real His working in our lives is so real and so true. We don't, we don't share that with our children. We don't share that with other people. But we see that Joshua and the, the men who were selected, the twelve, to take those memorials, especially that uh, we see where they will see for the rest of their life, those stones will be out there on the west side and the ones in the river, especially when the water goes down. Verse 10. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Okay, they weren't sauntering, they hurried. That's, that's nice. And then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the, the people. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half 
half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. Remember, half, two and a half tribes said, we don't want to go over to the west side in the promised land. We're, we're comfortable. We love this land on the east side. And God granted it and allowed that. Moses allowed it. But they had a promise. The warriors, those men had to be come over for battle and, and conquer the land with the, their brothers and then they could go back, but their families didn't have to cross over. So not all of, of the nation of Israel crossed over that day. Only the warriors, the children and the wives and children stayed on the east side. Don't forget that. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. So when they came across, they were ready for battle. It wasn't like they're lackadaisical vacation time and they're little flip flops and they're, you know they're just little you know coming into thing and then they'll get ready for battle. No, no, they were ready for battle if that, if the enemy attacked them as they come across. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him. And as they feared him, they awed him. They were, saw God working in and through that man's life. They saw God with Joshua, just like God said He would raise him up. And in front of the people. And they had feared, Mo as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua there, therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Wow, what an incredible moment that uh, this is playing out as God said it needed to play out. I find this interesting in these verses, especially verse 14. That God fulfilled his promise to Joshua that he said in verse 7 of chapter 3. Raising him up as a great leader of Israel. Even as he had done for Moses. But if you know the New Testament, you know the scriptures. I want you to draw your attention to John chapter 1 verse 28. Do you remember the scene in John 1 28? When Jesus is being baptized at the Jordan. Do you know where that place was, where he was baptized in the Jordan? Was that a place called Bethabara? Bethabara means house of passage. Therefore, Jesus was baptized in the same place Joshua was as he passed over into the promised land. So the same Joshua who's crossing the Jordan into the promised land is the same place that Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And so note at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3 verses 7 through 9, when they saw these Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, He's now telling them, don't be thinking. He already knows what they're thinking. Don't be saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. What stones do you think he's referring to? The same memorial stones that they just put in place coming across the promise. The, the Jordan River. What a moment that would have been. 
Verse 19, now the people came, came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they came to Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Gilgal would, would become their base of operation, I mentioned earlier, where they would conquer the, and come back and refresh and retool and, and regroup and go back out and, and conquer. And it would be the, this so appropriate, the first work in Gilgal would be to set up a memorial to God's great work and his, uh, of what God has done for his people. And we'll close here with verses 21 through 24. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until he had crossed over until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, there was obviously a purpose for the memorial stones. It's not just to praise themselves. Look at what we've done. Let's put up a memorial. And let's, I love me walls and show what I've accomplished. That's not what it is at all. The purpose of memorial stones is for the people of Israel themselves. It is to ease to, to for this to for not to, so easy to forget what God has done so miraculously and great miracles that God has performed on their behalf. And people forget these things over time. We don't remember the past great works of God so that we can live in a dreamland of the past. Thinking that the best days of our Christian experience are behind us. Many people live like that. We remember them as a point of faith where God, we took a step of faith because God said to and we took it and we see God work and, and fulfill his, his, his faithfulness of his promise. And so we can trust God for greater and greater works in the future because we have seen and experienced his past faithfulness. And he builds on that faith. So many people will be used by God when they get on fire and they're just saved and they're excited and they're evangelizing and they're telling people and your life is being changed and all of a sudden you've been walking with the Lord for a year to two to three to four and it's almost like you did act like you don't even, not even saved. You, you don't even, even, even understand trust that God is even doing a work in you because you've just gone dry and stale. You're not on fire for the Lord anymore. Because you're not taking steps of faith, so there's nothing moving in your life. So you're like, oh, ah, yeah, that's just a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I've always been a Christian. But God wants to do a fresh work in you and continue to build on your faith. So you need to serve God. You need to take these steps of faith. But many do not. But you have to tell your children. The most important purpose of, for the, is, is for their children to know and have a point of contact with God's work in the past. And remember that God's work did not begin with them. And their time, it's been God's been working from the very beginning. And he's faithful. And there was also a purpose for the world to see. So they would know that there is a God in heaven who can work miracles, a God that they could seek after with all of their heart. 
There's nothing wrong with memorials. Provided that they don't become religious idols that turn out, turn your heart away from God and, and turn it to some idol that you've been worshiping, some memorial. Provided these memorials do not keep us stuck in the past of what we've done once before, but then done, done nothing for God ever since. You just keep holding on what God did in the past. What did he do with the past? Oh, let me tell you what God did in the past. But what is he doing now, man, in your life? Where is God moving now? They must only be reminders of what God has done and must strengthen our faith and draw us close to the Lord. That's what those memorials are for. God was faithful then, he was faithful then, he was faithful then, he's faithful this then, and today I know he's going to be faithful in this next thing. I know it. God's faithful. Regardless of how I feel, he's faithful. And if you want to claim our spiritual inheritance in Christ, believe the word of faith and get your feet wet. Don't tell me you have faith and your feet's not wet. You're not taking steps of faith. Don't fool yourself. Step out in a, in a walk of faith and God will open the way for you. Surrender yourself to the Lord and die of the old life. We see that in Romans 6. And watch God do a fresh work within you. And change your life. It's interesting as you take a look in chapter, chapter 2. It was all about hope. The hope of Rahab. The hope of the, of, of, of the promised land. Chapter 3, it was all about faith. Taking a step of faith and crossing over the Jordan. And chapter 4, it was all about love. God's love and his provision. His love to show, his unconditional love, that he was going to be faithful to bring them into the promised land, he's always, as he's always said. What are the greatest attributes that we know in the scriptures? Hope, faith, and love, is it not? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all opening up your word to us, speaking to us, and speaking to our hearts, and only by the Spirit can do. Ask for a special blessing upon each and every hearer to this evening, and hearers in days to come, that you draw them closer to you, that they, we would all take steps of faith, trusting in you as you speak to us by and through your word of your, and your spirit. Let us walk in the spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.